Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word for us today. Let's just ask for God's help as we look to his word. God, apart from you, we can do nothing, and we want to confess that today. We pray that whatever you would do here today, that you do by the power of your word and the truth that we see in these verses. We just love you, and we thank you that you've revealed yourself in this way. We pray that you would help us to be changed by it and to be faithful to you in all ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how would you feel if you heroically rescued a friend of yours? Uh, maybe you sort of took on a, a, like a violent attacker, for example, and you won, you won the fight. It's like every guy's dream, right? Or uh, if you, you just bailed them out of millions of dollars of debt. Whatever the case, you radically rescued them from some terrible peril, okay? And then the next time you saw them, you overheard them retelling the story, and you couldn't help but notice that some of the details had changed. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I just grabbed the guy, and I just like, wrestled him to the ground. He ran away screaming. That's not exactly how it went. Or, yeah, I finally paid off all that debt. Yeah, I don't know. I've just been saving up, you know, trying to be wise with my money. And what you would notice, of course, is that your role in that story has shrunk. Uh, his role has grown. And rather than expressing his gratitude to you for helping him, this retelling of the story is really just a way for him to gain the approval of others based on a lie. I'm willing to bet that most of us would not be pleased with that retelling of the story. And if so, God can relate to this. That's what we're going to see today. That is exactly how he feels when we change the details of his gospel. And it really, really matters. Now, usually, after Paul's introduction to a letter, he often gives a really warm greeting. And he'll say things like, so grateful for you guys. I hear about all the great things that God's doing in your church. Here are the ways I'm praying for you. He does none of that here. Instead, right away in verse 6, he jumps in. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I warned you, this letter is intense. 
Last week, from Paul's introduction, we saw that God is the one creating this spiritual family we're all a part of, not us. And today, we're going to see that he is creating this family by the power of a message, the message of the gospel. And that word gospel just means a king's announcement of good news to his people. It's a very common thing in this day. Kings used gospels regularly to get the news. That's sort of a modern equivalent of a very happy press briefing. Uh, But this gospel in particular is the good news of King Jesus heroically saving us from the power of sin. And Paul makes his point very clear right away here by contradicting the details of that gospel. The Galatians had not only confused a message, they had deserted God. And so Paul wastes no time rebuking them. He does it in a very direct way. In our passage today, Paul is saying to them very clearly, never contradict God's gospel to gain the approval of men. Never. Now clearly Paul's upset, and clearly Paul's upset about the Galatians turning from the gospel. But the challenge with our passage today is that Paul does not define God's gospel in these verses or even explain what the Galatians have done to turn from it. We haven't gotten to that point of the letter yet. And so to better understand what he does mean here, it will be really helpful just to consider what else Paul says about the gospel in the letter to the Galatians. And so I'm going to start today's sermon with sort of a preface. Uh, and, and there's really one reference in particular of the gospel that sheds a lot of light on this. If you have your Bible open, which I hope you do, turn to Galatians and go to chapter 3. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me, and I want to start in verse 7. Here's what Paul says. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, his point is that Jews are not just part of the family because they're related to Abraham, right? That's not the way into the family. Faith is the way into this family. And so whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, only those with faith in Jesus are true sons of Abraham, okay? That's his point. But then look at what he says next about the Old Testament preaching this gospel long before Christ was ever born. Next verse, he says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. In that one little sentence, In you all the nations will be blessed, which is a quote from Genesis 12, the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. In other words, according to Abraham, this gospel is a message about how to enter God's family. The way in is by faith, and it also clarifies who can enter God's family by faith. That is, namely, everyone, people of all nations. Therefore, there are two ways that we can distort the gospel. The Galatians were doing both of them. We can contradict the how of the gospel, and we can contradict the who of the gospel, and I'm taking that phrase, the who of the gospel, from an author and pastor named Jonathan Lehman. I didn't think of of that. We mentioned the problem in the book last week, that they were gathering Gentiles into the wrong family in the wrong 
way. And I want us to just kind of see what I'm doing here. Wrong family, who? Wrong way, how? Right? Now, sometimes Christians only associate the gospel with how to be saved. And so this idea of distorting the who of the gospel may even seem like a bit of a stretch to you. I want to show you, though, in this letter why it clearly was not a stretch to Paul. According to Paul, Genesis 12 was proclaiming the gospel long before anyone had any clue how God would ever accomplish it. All they had at that time, for sure, was the who of the gospel. And for that reason, all they could do was anticipate or foresee the how of the gospel. Basically, I don't know how he's going to do it, uh, but somehow... God is going to bless all these nations through Abraham. That's all it took for Genesis 12 to proclaim the gospel long before anyone knew how it would actually work. And here's the point. Who King Jesus redeems is part of the gospel. And we're going to see this next week in the story about Peter. Paul's going to make this point. In this story, Peter is going to first be eating lunch with anybody he wants to in the church. All the Gentiles, all the Jews, everybody is good with Peter and in great perfect fellowship with him until a group of Jewish Christians come, and then he will start to avoid the Gentiles. And it even says that other people, even Barnabas, was led astray by his hypocrisy. And so Paul's going to tell us next week that he opposed Peter to his face along with all these other Jews who were avoiding Gentiles. And here's why. Because, he says, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, by just avoiding fellowship with believers of a different nation, Peter was out of step with God's gospel. Because God promised long ago to bless all of these nations through Abraham. So even his conduct, by avoiding the who of the gospel, he was out of step with it. And this is really interesting, if you think about it, because we know by the testimony of Scripture even, that of all people, Peter definitely understood the how of the gospel. Peter preached justification by faith Alone, He was actually the first one to experience it. He was the first one to profess his faith in Christ. And in fact, when this whole Jew-Gentile controversy first erupted in the early church, it was actually Peter who stood up at the Jerusalem council and he said this. First in Acts 15, uh, it says, Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, talking about Gentiles, and to keep them, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So I want you to see, this is a very similar issue to what we're talking about here. Wrong family, wrong way, okay? Here's what it says next. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, he says, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us, that is, us Jews, and them, that is, the Gentiles, having cleansed them, he says, here's how, by faith. So Peter knew the how of the gospel very well, but 
he was still walking out of step with it by simply avoiding fellowship with spiritual brothers and sisters from another nation. So on one hand, the Galatians were distorting the gospel in this way too. They were contradicting the who of the gospel because they were gathering Gentiles into the nation of Israel rather than this new spiritual family that God is creating, the church, which is made up of people of all nations. You you don't have to be a Jew to get into it. On the other hand, this is very important, understanding who Jesus died to redeem is not enough to qualify as the true gospel. We also have to understand how he's redeeming all nations into his family, and he's doing it by justifying sinful people of all nations by faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to be really, really clear about this. It doesn't matter who you are or what nation you are from. There is only one way into God's family Everyone has to repent of their sins. Everyone has to receive Jesus as king. And everyone has to rely on his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. That is the only way into this family that God is creating. Therefore, if we add anything to faith and insist that people do anything other than trusting in Christ to be justified to join God's family with us, then we are also distorting the gospel. In this case, we would be distorting it by distorting the how of the gospel. And again, the Galatians did both. So just just to summarize here, uh, based on everything Paul says about the gospel in this letter, this is my best attempt to sort of summarize the true gospel that he is arguing for here. Put it on the slides. God's gospel is this. That King Jesus died and rose again to redeem all nations, Jews and Gentiles, into God's family, the church, through faith in him. This is the gospel that Paul is insisting on. And now, now here, again, my best attempt to reconstruct, based on what this letter says, here, I think, is the gospel the Galatians believed in order to turn from and distort this gospel. They believe the gospel that King Jesus died and rose again to redeem all nations, emphasis Gentiles, into God's family, Israel, through circumcision. Now, think about it. There's a lot that they actually have in common here. King Jesus is dying and rising again in both. But I want you to notice, by this equation, Jesus did not have to die for Jews to be included in God's family. They were already a part of it because they had been circumcised citizens of Israel. This is why I think Paul is going to say in chapter 5, if you accept circumcision, Jesus will be of no advantage to you. You see this? So the Galatians had turned from the gospel we saw last week because they were gathering Gentiles into the wrong family. They got the who wrong. In the wrong way, they got the how wrong. Unless we understand that, we really can only speculate as to what Paul means here by the saying that they turned from the gospel, okay? End of the preface. Now that we have a better sense of what Paul means by turning from the gospel, with all that in mind, I want us to see three reasons that we should never do it. He's going to give us three reasons we should never contradict God's gospel, and the first reason is this. God only has one true gospel. 
Notice this, by saying that the Galatians had turned to another gospel, it's almost as if Paul felt like he gave them too much credit. So immediately he corrects himself and he says, well, not that there is another one. In other words, it's, it's not like we have more than one option to choose from here and you've just chosen one of the less ideal options. No, there is only one gospel and by changing it, you have lost it. The, the gospel you are preaching is no gospel at all, Paul says. And then he shows us the real kind of heart underlying this problem. He says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So we're going to see uh, this is a group of Jewish Christian missionaries from outside of these churches who are preaching this false gospel. And the point is, Rather than rejecting them and resisting their gospel, the Galatians embraced them and adopted their gospel. And Paul's basically saying here, no, 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 you cannot do that. <laughs> you, you don't get to customize the message. If you change the gospel at all, you lose the gospel entirely. And not only that, but you desert the God who has called you in the grace of Christ. So our takeaway today is this. We can get the gospel wrong. We can get the gospel wrong. The gospel is, is a very specific message about what God has done to redeem humanity into this new spiritual family, which means it is not just a philosophy. Uh, it is not just a, a collection of rules we're obligated to obey. It's not a subjective personal experience that we get to define according to our own inner feelings, even. The gospel is a specific message from God himself that we either understand and believe in or not. And because it's a specific message from God and because there is only one of them, this means we can get the gospel wrong. I just think it's really important to even just zoom in and just be very clear here. If we do get the gospel wrong, then whatever gospel we think we believe in, it is not God's gospel. And therefore, no matter how much we may feel like we're a part of his family, we are not. We cannot get the gospel wrong and still be a part of God's family. It is our faith in this one and only gospel that qualifies us to be a part of the family. And if we turn from God's one and only gospel, we are not only turning from the message, but we are turning from him. So I want to ask us this today. Are you as passionate about getting the gospel right as Paul seems to be in our passage? Uh, when we describe someone as, as being a Christian or when we call them our, our brother or sister in Christ, do we mean that they have true saving faith in God's one and only gospel? Do we mean that they have repented of their sins, they have trusted in Christ alone to deliver them from this present age by the power of his resurrection and the grace that it affords us? Are we careful to make sure that this is true for anyone we identify as a Christian? Or when we call someone a Christian, do we basically just mean, well, I don't know, they seem to like Jesus. Uh, they grew up in the church. They've always, been, they've always been around the church. And I mean, I don't know. They might be offended if I suggest that's not enough uh, to get them into God's family. It is very possible 
to really, really like this guy named Jesus even and not rely on him and his good news for salvation. So I want us to see today, it is not unloving to insist that people must understand the gospel in order to be a Christian. It is not unloving to tell someone that they are not a Christian if they don't believe in this gospel. It is not arrogant or self-promoting to correct those who misunderstand the gospel. In fact, it is all of those things. It is unloving and arrogant and self-promoting, incredibly so, to give people the impression that they can somehow be a Christian, whether they believe in this gospel or not, as if we have the power to get them into God's family by some other means and some other standard that we've made up. There is one gospel. We can get it wrong. And if we do, there are dire spiritual consequences, church, which is why next Paul shares another reason we should never contradict the gospel. Number two is because God curses anyone who contradicts it. He curses anyone who contradicts it. Look with me at verse 8. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, sorry, a gospel contrary to the one you received, he says, let him be accursed. That word accursed is obviously incredibly strong. The original Greek means anathema. And it's really meant, I believe, to hearken us back to God's promise to Abraham from Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, first and foremost, to be cursed by God in this way means to be under God's just condemnation. Or it means to be the object of his wrath rather than the object of his blessing, right? So with, with Genesis 12 in mind, it also means to be cut off, therefore, or to be excluded from his promised family. It means to be one of the people he curses so that he can bless all nations through Abraham. Now, I want to think back, if you will, with me to our series in, in, in Genesis in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened there? God cursed the people of those cities because of their sin. It was, it was not pretty, but he delivered Lot and uh, Abraham's nephew because of this promise to Abraham. So to be accursed is to be like Sodom and Gomorrah rather than like Abraham and Lot in that story. Paul's saying that's what will happen to people who contradict this one and only gospel, they will be cursed by God rather than receiving the blessing of Abraham. His point, I think, is that we can try and object to that. Uh, we can insist or suggest that God is being unjust because he's cursing all of these righteous people with all of the wicked people like Abraham tried to do. But in the end, we will see the truth is there are no righteous people. If God cursed all of us, he would still be perfectly just. He is incredibly merciful to redeem anyone into this spiritual family, including Abraham and Lot. 
And yet in Christ, he has made a way for everyone to enter into it. And they don't even have to live up to his perfect standards at all. They just need to have faith in him. And so please hear me out here. At first, I imagine and I understand this may all seem incredibly harsh to you. I realize that. And you may even be tempted to say, I understand exactly what Paul's saying. I think I clearly know that's what this means, and I don't want to accept it. But the truth is, God does not just curse those who contradict his gospel because they believe the wrong stuff. As in, oh, sorry, you got your theology wrong, and so for that reason, I'm going to send you to hell forever. No, 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 no. We already deserved to go to hell forever because we rebelled against this God. We are trying to be our own gods. We have filled his creation with sin and death rather than his glory. And then, after all of that, he sent his perfect son to take the fall for all of that. And he is inviting everyone into his family, even in spite of their sin, as long as they repent and believe in Jesus. And so here's Paul's point. If anyone hears that message and then says, nah, that's not how it works for me, that person is contradicting the only message that rescues anyone from the curse of sin. That person is not trusting in the only son who can get them into God's family. That person is relying on something else to get them into the family. In this case, circumcision and obedience to the law. And as Paul will say in chapter 3, all who rely on the law are under a curse. This is the point, church. There is no sense in trying to stop that because there is no other way around it. And so instead... We should just let them be accursed. Wait a minute. What if they're like, "Mm, really great, really important, really powerful people even? Yep, doesn't matter, even them. Okay, I'm going to stump you, Paul. What if you came back and contradicted the gospel that way? Huh? Yep. Even me. I got you. What if an angel from heaven came down and contradicted this gospel? Paul's saying, listen, we have said it before. I'll say it again. You can tell that angel to go to hell. Because if he contradicts this gospel, that is where he is headed. And there is no one who can stop it. God has one gospel, and he curses anyone who contradicts it. So the takeaway for us today is that we need to keep the gospel clear. This is so important, we're going to spend a lot of time on this. (laughs) I want us to see it is not enough that we got the gospel right at first in order for us to get saved back then. The, The Galatians did that. They apparently had the gospel right back when God called them in the grace of Christ. But then, by embracing these missionaries who were contradicting it, the Galatians had turned from it, and in so doing, they'd even deserted the God who called them by it. So it is important not just to get the gospel right at first, but also to keep 
the gospel clear always. Now, you might be wondering, well, how do we do that? How do we keep the gospel clear? I want to suggest two ways. Uh, The Galatians, again, they got the who of the gospel and the how of the gospel wrong. And and therefore, we need to keep the who of the gospel and the how of the gospel clear. Okay? So I'm going to start with the how of the gospel since that's the way into the family to begin with. Okay? We need to make it crystal clear in everything we say and everything we do that there is no way into God's spiritual family except by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This means that the grace God has lavished on us in the death and resurrection of Christ should be always on the top of our minds and always on the tip of our tongues so that even the faintest whiff of another gospel will disgust us and put us all on alert. And to that end, let's be a church that clearly teaches and regularly reads the scriptures. Because we could see God has inspired them to reveal the grace of this gospel in countless ways. Let's be a church that does not go chasing every new ministry fad or how-to Let's be a church that does not constantly prod everyone to serve more and to do more as if this is a family we have to create by our own effort, innovation, creativity, and and all the perfect ministry offerings. No, let's be a church that really trusts in the power of this message to do what God intends it to do, namely to redeem the nations. When we see sin in one another's lives, let's be quick to move towards one another, not run from one another, uh, but not with sort of a mean stare and a list of things that need to be gotten right. No, let's move toward one another, being clear about sin, taking it seriously, calling one another to repent, but let's do this with full confidence that we can confess anything. And and we don't have to hide our sin to stay in this family because all of us needed a resurrected king to pay the price to get us into this family. All of us, none of us have any business being in it. When we hear another member complaining or worrying or spiraling, let's listen. Let's try to understand and then Let's shepherd them toward faith in Christ, the very thing that God used to call them into the grace of the gospel. These are just a few important ways we can keep the how of the gospel clear. It's incredibly important that we do. Next, it is also important for us to keep the who of the gospel clear. And the way we do that is by actually committing to follow Jesus as members of this new spiritual family. And, this is key, by welcoming anyone into the family so long as they have true faith in Christ. Regardless of their ethnicity or social status or our ethnicity or social status, we link our lives with them as spiritual brothers and sisters. We can also keep the who of the gospel clear by partnering with other churches and pastors and missionaries around the world who have the gospel right and want to keep it clear with us. 
Now, when it comes to keeping the who of the gospel clear, I do want to be clear what I mean here and what I don't mean. Uh, I do not mean that any church that doesn't meet some arbitrary quota for ethnic diversity has somehow abandoned the true gospel, right? There's a lot of irresponsible ways to really oversimplify this. And, and frankly, there's even a lot of pressure to heap all kinds of shame on people, frankly, I think, to, to sort of gain a good showing in, in the eyes of the world. We have to remember this. Unless we are ethnic Jews, all of us were gathered into God's family from Gentile nations. And I imagine there are at least 10, probably far more, nations represented just in our small churches membership. We are not all descended from the same ethnic group or nation by any stretch. And so we can always grow in diversity. I, I want us to, to work very hard and intentionally to do that. But God is doing this at Redemption Church. And let's not miss that and sort of roll our eyes at this incredible miracle that God has done in order to sort of score points in the present evil age. That's not what I mean by keeping the who of the gospel clear. I also don't mean that as long as a church is multi-ethnic, then they clearly have the true gospel. Uh, there are plenty of ways to gather multi-ethnic churches that have nothing to do with the gospel, okay? So with, with those things said, to state this in a positive way, it is essential for us to keep the who of the gospel clear by actively working to see people of all nations hear the gospel, trust in Christ, and follow Jesus with us as fellow members of his church, including this church. It is not enough for us to not hate people of different ethnicities, which I trust is true. It is not enough for us to cite cultural differences as a barrier to this kind of church fellowship, as if the power of the gospel is, is big enough and powerful enough to overcome sin and death, but not to overcome our music preferences or our communication styles. This gospel is designed by God to transcend every culture and to overcome any ethnic barrier. That is not just overly idealistic, pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking sort of stuff. The, the scriptures have always foreseen this good news since the days of Abraham. And so we need faith that as impossible as this may seem and unintuitive as it may feel, that's kind of the point. Because this is the family only God can create. And he will do it. It is not our job to create it. It's our job, though, to keep the gospel clear so that he can create it. And so when we sponsor a preaching workshop for pastors in India so that they can get the gospel right and keep the gospel clear in their nation, when we welcome all kinds of children into our homes through safe families, foster care, and adoption, when we purposefully cross social and cultural barriers that most people would never dare to cross to love and to invest in people who are very different from us, and most importantly, when we tell them the good news of King Jesus and invite them into this family with us, in all of these things, we can keep the who of God's gospel as clear as possible for the world to see, and it really matters. It really matters that we keep both the who and the how of this message clear because if we contradict or turn from it, even if we had it right at one point, 
we will be accursed. This is why Paul tells the Galatians, you should have never embraced these missionaries. You should have let them be accursed. And next, he tells us why we can do something so radical, even if it's really hard. And that is number three, because God is the one we must please, not men. God is the one we must please, not men. Paul's last point here is, is pretty straightforward. He knows <laughs> that if we keep God's gospel clear, it will lead to all kinds of opposition in the world. So he, he is not suggesting that keeping the gospel clear will be easy or pain-free. Not at all. Remember, he used to kill Christians for keeping the gospel clear. And now as an apostle, he faced that same opposition himself. Paul, though, was willing to face the rejection of other people. And next he tells us why with this rhetorical question. He says, for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, if our goal is just to please men and to make a good showing in this present evil age, we cannot really be a servant of Christ who suffered and died to deliver us from this present evil age. Those two things can't go together. This clearly hints at the reason which motivated the Galatians to turn from God's true gospel, and it also reveals, I think, a common motivation that can easily lead us to distort the gospel. In fact, we will absolutely distort the truth of this one and only gospel in one way or another. It's just a matter of time if we care more about the approval of other people than we care about the approval of God. And this is our final takeaway. We have to decide whose approval we're after. We have to decide. If we try earnestly to keep the who of the gospel clear, some people will accuse us of being woke. If we try earnestly to keep the how of the gospel clear, some people will accuse us of being rigid and dogmatic. And if we try to keep the who and the how of the gospel clear, uh, it may even lead to all kinds of tensions in the life of our church that could easily just be avoided if we just ignored the rest of the world and stuck to loving people who are basically like us even before they came to know Christ. It would be much easier to preach a less clear gospel that most people will just agree with. Much easier. It would be much easier if we just let those people have their churches so that we could have ours. But God's son did not have to die and rise from the dead so that we can create families like that. And so I want you to picture that person who you know would reject you the quickest if they heard you insist that this gospel were true. Your relationship would be done, and their respect for you would be gone. I want you to imagine the emotional toll it would take to lose all of their respect and their approval in that way. And then here's my encouragement to you today. You can have the courage to keep the gospel clear, even in that scenario, 
Because this God stands by and approves of anyone who believes in and keeps his gospel. If we take this seriously, all kinds of people may oppose us for all kinds of reasons. We may lose the respect of people we love very much. We may become the laughingstock of the world. And for that reason, we will be tempted at every turn to distort and to turn from the truth of this gospel. But we have to remember this, is that there is only one gospel that pleases God. There is only one gospel that he is using to redeem sinners from all nations into his family. There is only one gospel that can rescue us from this present evil age. And so if we, or if anyone else, contradicts that gospel to gain the approval of men, let us be accursed. 